What goes into making an iconic building in America? What are the stories and who are the people behind the next generation of architecture? If your work touches the real estate industry in any way, or you're just curious about what goes into one-of-a-kind cities and towns all across our country, join us on the American Building Podcast. In season two, we learn about everything from skyscrapers to single-family homes, from the famous and soon-to-be-famous designers and developers responsible for them. This season focuses particularly on the pandemic and how our buildings will change in response. Our sponsor is the iconic design firm, Michael Graves Architecture and Design. And now your host, award-winning architect turned entrepreneur, Atif Cotter, AIA. This is American Building, and I'm your host, Atif Kader. I'm the CEO of Redist, a technology company focused on innovative public financing for real estate projects. We are recording from the historic home of world-renowned architect Michael Graves in Princeton, New Jersey. Check out this amazing space for yourself at the Michael Graves Architecture and Design YouTube channel. Now, let's build something. Today, our guest is acoustic designer Ryan Gray. Ryan is founder and principal of Eremos, an acoustic design firm based in New York City and Miami. He previously worked at Ceramian Associates, the firm considered to be a pioneer in the field of acoustical design in the United States. He began his career at Lockheed Martin, where he worked as a mechanical engineer. He is a graduate of Vanderbilt, Go Commodores, and Penn State. We will be talking about the Noble corporate headquarters in Boston, Massachusetts. And for our guests who continue to work from home, we'll be learning from Ryan how to make your work from home experience more acoustically pleasing. Thank you so much for being here with us, Ryan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you started your career as an acoustic engineer with, of all things, submarines. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think I kind of fell into it. I I was in college and studying mechanical engineering, and I knew at the time I thought I wanted to either design cars or be a rocket scientist. I don't think I had a great grasp for what engineering really was or mechanical engineering really was early in my education, but I knew I needed to get some field experience or some work experience. So I applied to a lab that just happened to be near my hometown. And I didn't really know what they did at the time. And I got really lucky because they did some really cool stuff. They actually designed nuclear propulsion systems for submarines. So that's kind of how I got started there. And then when you were working there, what are the, the key aspects to your role there? Well, I started my first year, I, I think I told you when we were talking offline that mm-hmm. I, I started as a doing a thermal dynamic analysis. Mm -hmm. And I found it very, very boring. So I was a little disenchanted. I was a little worried that mechanical engineering wasn't the right path for me. Mm -hmm. But before I left that summer, I told my then boss, I said, you know, I'm not sure that this is the right thing for me. Thank you so much for the experience. But I think I need to kind of look around a little bit more Mm -hmm. for what I'm really meant to do. And he was really cool to me. And he let me, he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't I introduce you to some people? like let you understand what's going on. And this was a lab of like 2000 people. So I got, I got to meet these people from all different disciplines and they just sat down with me for half an hour and told me what mm-hmm. they did. 
And a lot of them, frankly, felt the same way. I said, wow, that doesn't sound very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I met this one guy and he told me about noise. And just somehow it just really resonated with me. He started talking and just my, my mind kind of started lighting up, thinking of all the things you could do if you understood the science behind this. Mm-hmm. And then help our listeners understand what is acoustics and what does acoustical design entail? Yeah, so acoustics is, in the broader sense of the way uh, it's kind of used in my in our industry, in the building industry, it's really anything to do with noise and vibration. So it's really taking the the science of sound and the science of vibration and applying it. So it can be a really wide range of things. It can be you're building a high-rise condo building and you have an emergency generator on the roof, and that's going to create noise that might kind of come down into, say, the penthouse apartment. And it's also going to create vibration. And so you need to understand the physics behind those mechanisms to then give really constructive advice on how to prevent that. So, uh, you know, it can entail that. It can entail how do you build a wall so that you don't hear someone on the other side of it. And it also falls into the range of things that you might think of more traditionally. And it's what I thought of before I really got into the field. Um, How do rooms sound when you're in them? Mm -hmm. So, um, Think concert hall, but also think classroom. You need to make the space really great so that the students with all types of learning disabilities or other challenges can hear and understand what the teacher is saying. Or if you're in a boardroom, you want to be sure that your message is getting across loud and clear and it's not just jumbled up by an echoey room. That's excellent. You basically have listed a number of different spaces that um, have really high acoustical needs. But from your description, you're basically every space could have some amount of acoustical design as part of the design process. Is that correct? Yeah, every space does. And what I really like to think about first is what the, what the end users are going to experience when they're in the space. Yeah. Um, so one example might be hospitals. My wife uh, has gone through some really health challenges over the years, and she has multiple sclerosis and kidney disease. And as a result of that, I spent a good amount of time in hospitals. Mm-hmm. There was a month stint where we essentially lived there in a hospital. She was in the hospital bed and I kind of lived in the chair next to her. I just firsthand experienced what the acoustic environment is. And it's awful, right? These people are there trying to heal. They're in their sickest place in their life and trying to heal and get treated. And there's just noise constantly, alarms and bells. And the equipment, and, yeah. And people talking in the hallway mm-hmm. or there's so many things that could be avoided or made better if someone took a step back and said, what is the human experience in this space? You know, what are the end users and, you know, who are we really designing for and how do we make the sound environment good for those people? So in that case, it's patients, but you can really apply that to anyone, someone sitting in an open plan workplace and what is their experience and how do you design around that? That type of uh, observation is really, I think, fabulous. I had an opportunity to listen on a panel about the sounds that are associated with equipment that's used in home and commercial environments when I was at South by Southwest conference uh, last month. And it's amazing how old and how dated many of the boops and bleeps and other sounds that are associated with particularly medical equipment are and how a thoughtful redesign could make a large part of that uncomfortable experience for you go away. So I definitely appreciate the challenges, even from the, the small scale of equipment to the much larger scale that, that humans and other types of noise uh, emit. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you worked at Cerami and Associates for six years. Talk to us about the projects that you worked on there and how you knew it was time to leave eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the projects got to work on a really wide range. I think in acoustics in general, which is why I really love my job, mm-hmm. is I get to take something I'm passionate about and apply it to so many different areas. One of the things I'm passionate about is architecture and building. And it's so neat to be able to work one day on a hospital and the next day on a museum. So uh, while working at Cerami, I got exposed to a lot of really great jobs. I got to be the project manager on things like the Whitney Museum of American Art. I've worked on the Mumbai International Airport Terminal. So these really great big spaces done by, you know, some of the best architects and, you know, kind of walking into the field. That's where I got my start after working as a mechanical engineer. It was just very quickly just getting immersed in this world. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to have been able to do that. So in terms of knowing when it was time to leave, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I think the entrepreneurial spirit is what led me to go from a, a, a government type job it was very bureaucratic to mm-hmm. a uh, you know small consulting firm in New York in the first place. But then after spending some time there and just wanting to kind of pursue things in a different way, working for a larger firm uh, and kind of a firm that's done things in a certain way for a long time, mm-hmm. at some point just didn't feel like the right fit anymore. And so that's, that's kind of what led me to pursue starting my own firm. So... Starting your own firm can be both fabulously exciting and exhilarating and also really scary. And tell us what the first few months of being out on your own was like. Yeah, you're so right. It can be exciting. I think it's important to stop and just appreciate things sometimes because you're also right. It can be so stressful. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, the first few months, I don't want anyone listening to thinking about starting their own business to... I think it's all roses. It was stressful. You know, I I decided pretty quickly that uh, once we realized it was time to do this, we kind of made the change quickly. And so I went from having a steady job where things were very predictable to, we got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. As as I mentioned, my wife had begun through some health things. She was dealing with some health things at the time. And uh, so I I was stressed out. I was worried, how am I going to make sure that I can pay her bills? What is this going to look like? I knew I had the ability, but all of a sudden, once it's time, it's where, where's the next client going to come from? It, it definitely is a process. Uh, I think it's a learning process to mm-hmm. kind of go through that. And I, th- I think it helps you grow. But um, first few months were, where's that work going to come from? I think in particular, one of the additional things that I noted when I left corporate America and then started my development company is the reality that without a particular place to go every day pre-COVID and without the need to wear a suit and without a particular title you're associated with at the fancy firm that you work at, it's kind of jarring to figure out what your sense of self actually is without all those like tidbits and doodads that you essentially make your sense of self. And I think that one of the most important things was to basically wake up each morning and <laughs> look at the mirror and say, Atif, you are smart. You are important. And gosh darn it, people like you. So that was definitely what helped me the first couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
it's been 10 years since I started my firm and I'm still learning. And I, I looking back, I can't believe how little I knew then. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely in that, you know, how much I needed structure in the absence of structure from the outside. And maybe that's not true for everyone, but it, it definitely is for me. Um, and, and in the first few months, you know, you, you don't have a job. They want, I'm an acoustic consultant. Here I am available to work. You, you don't necessarily have a client mm-hmm. that minute. What do you do with yourself? You know, should I be creating marketing materials or coming up with systems to keep track of things or what exactly are we doing? <laughs> what do we do here? How do I manifest work? <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's um, definitely gives you time to learn about yourself a lot. And I, I think I can't believe how much I've learned my sense of identity through this process. And, and it's not something that just, you just do it for a year and you find who you are. I think you're mm-hmm. constantly reevaluating and learning, uh, but it's so rewarding. Like, I don't know that I would, for me personally, I don't think I would go through those same motions if I was in a different situation. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree. And I think this idea of entrepreneurship is one thing that is obtuse and it's one that's much i think easier understood on the small scale of a day a week a month at a time as opposed to this grand arc so i definitely definitely appreciate what you described Uh, so you have worked on a number of fitness facilities what were they and what did you learn from uh, those projects that you worked on yeah so i i think over the course of I'd say uh, 15 years, you know, since I started at the, my original job, I kind of fell into the fitness world as part of what I did as a consultant. Certainly I do um, lots of these other jobs, but what's interesting about fitness as a discipline or as a sub-discipline in acoustics is that it's incredibly technically challenging. Whenever we're working on any project type, we're, you know, assessing how to deal with noise and vibration and how to minimize it in fitness it's all of those things really amplified. So you're not dealing with a little pump shaking, making noise. You're dealing with 25 people running as hard as they can <laughs> and literally shaking a building. You know, I've, I've seen projects where maybe they didn't have the right treatments in and I was winning in retrospect to try to fix it. And I've seen a group fitness class. So, you know, think aerobics mm-hmm. has different terms now, but it's a group of people dancing or jumping two to three stories up a commercial building. and all of the desks were shaking and bouncing. So it's really unreal how much energy can come out of a fitness project. And that's just vibration. There's also extreme sound as over the past 10 years, uh, boutique fitness where there's group classes sure. have been such a big thing. And the sound level is extremely high because it's part of the experience. And it's challenging because you're trying to take something that's extremely loud that wants to live next to something that's extremely quiet because your key clients for those um, facilities are going to be in class A office buildings mm-hmm. or high-end luxury condo buildings. And so it's going to be on the ground floor retail right below a multi-million dollar condo. And so it takes all those things that you normally do in acoustics and you have to do it at such a high level. And it, it's really interesting because you have to integrate all of the different disciplines to make it work. Structural, fire protection, HVAC, thinking about architecture and ADA access, Mm -hmm. all those things kind of interrelate once you try to get it accomplished on that scale. So in terms of what they were, I've worked for a lot of the large brands over Mm -hmm. the years, kind of when each of the brands went through a period of expansion. So first it was the New York Sports Club Mm -hmm. type. They had, you know, Boston Sports Club, Washington Sports Club, followed by uh, Equinox went through a period of expansion back um, 
12 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it went into some of the smaller uh, boutique gyms that are really popular now, which is uh, Soul Cycle, uh, Flywheel, Barry's Boot Camp, a lot of those brands. There's um, a lot of gyms that maybe have, you know, for startups. Uh, there's a gym I really enjoyed working on out in um, California called Box Union. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, they have a couple of facilities and then they actually acquired Title Boxing. So a wide range of the kind of the major players that are kind of taking the retail gym space. Excellent. So that's probably a perfect segue into uh, the focus of this episode. So the corporate headquarters for Noble is in the Leather District in Boston, and that's sandwiched between the Fort Point Channel and the Seaport District and Chinatown. Tell us about this area and about the site in particular. You know, I think I could be more educated on the area. I'm, I'm impressed with your description. But, uh-huh. uh, I, did. I, 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 I have s- been there. <laughs> I do have the advantage of having lived there for five years. So maybe we should switch the turn the tables on that question. <laughs> I think in particular what I, I've noted, and you, you've probably seen this or maybe understood as well, is that the amount to which uh, this area has changed over the past 15, 10, five years, in particular from a relatively a low density warehouse uh, type area uh, into one that's become just really full of class A office and also class A residential as well. And I think particularly the area around the Fort Point Channel has now become a, a great place to to walk and to stroll and to hang out when before uh, it was most more a place you would go by or aim to get through quickly in order to get to somewhere else. Yeah. What were your, some of your initial impressions when you were there for the first time? Well, that's a great summary. I think as you're talking, I do recall I've been there a few times, a handful of times over the past 10, 15 years. And I do remember it was, you know, some office projects at first. There's an architecture firm or two that actually Mm -hmm. have their offices there. And I remember at the time just being amazed at how much square footage was being developed, but it's still very much in process. Where now I think you're right, it's it's turned and it's it's a destination in and of itself. I mean, the project itself is located within former Boston Globe warehouse. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a really impressive building. It, it, it's a very large building and it has, um, it's kind of this huge warehouse that they've converted into a multi-tenant facility. Um, Noble, it's taking up a lot of space, almost 100,000 square feet there. Uh, but there's other tenants, they're going to have biotech science firms, and um, they kind of have large atrium kind of co-working type spaces. Um, so that alone, you know, in terms of remarking at what's going on in that area of Boston, certainly it's, it's a lot of development, a lot of new companies moving in. And I think particularly that the building itself that you mentioned, that was a 700,000 square foot building. That's the former Boston Globe headquarters and included its office and its printing press. Uh, and that was bought in 2017 by Nordblom Companies and uh, Beacon Capital Partners, I think, is one of the, the, the team members there as well. And I think that's very emblematic of the change that's happening in terms of the office tenant profile. Uh, so Noble is moving in, almost 100,000 square feet. What is the program that they have in store yeah. or, or the, for, the, for the project? Yeah, Noble is a athletic apparel company, shoes and, and other apparel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're really popular in the uh, multiple, I think, areas, but definitely they have a ton of um, following in the CrossFit area. Um, they're the sponsors of the, uh, cross, the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. Which they took from Reebok. I believe they were the former sponsors. Yeah, I think so. 
And so they, CrossFit's a big part of their DNA and what they do. And so the project is, it's their corporate headquarters, but they like to have experience and, and build that into their spaces. So their retail stores have experience kind of built into them. I've, I've been talking to them about some of their stores that they're building mm-hmm. and they want to be able to have a retail component, but also have an experience component, whether it be bringing in professional athletes to have an event or um, even letting customers interact with equipment in different ways. So in the headquarters project, one component of it is actually to have a training facility right in the middle of the workplace. Um, so think, you know, someone throwing a 300 pounds over their head and dropping mm-hmm. it while someone else is writing a report. <laughs> so that, that's kind of, I think, the, the problem statement from an acoustic perspective. The project is also just has a v- very wide range of programming mm-hmm. for its scale. You know, a lot of times for a 100,000 square foot office project, you have maybe a conference center and a town hall and mostly workplace. Mm-hmm. In this case, we have, in addition to workplace, we have the training, but then we also have Noble's very, Noble is very into content creation mm-hmm. in terms of creating their own content and digital content for distribution on social media channels. And so as part of their program, they have recording studios and photo studios mixed in as well. So we need to protect those from the training space. We need to protect those from the workplace. We need to kind of isolate all these different uses and kind of keep it all cohesive and mm-hmm. together and obviously open because it's such a cool, gritty space to enjoy. So that, I think, brings us to the the next question I'm really fascinated uh, to hear your response to is what was your design process for this? So my understanding is that the project, you came in on relatively early in the design process. What was your process like then? In this particular project, it was early. And I think there's two different parts to the design process. I think the second part we're really in the middle of right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll tell you about the first part. Uh, the first part is really space planning, especially if you have a unique use that's going to be creating noise. How do we plan around that, um, both in terms of where does that space live relative to other spaces? Because it might affect the workplace or the other program within this project. But also, it, it could affect someone upstairs or next mm-hmm. door to you. So really early, uh, right before they, I think it was even before they signed their lease, mm-hmm. we went in and we did mock-up testing. It was really, really fun. We do mock-up testing often. I did one this morning and I just brought a 35-pound dumbbell and you know drop it on the floor. But for this, because I knew that they're going to be doing much more extreme type things, we, I asked for some help because I knew I couldn't actually do what they would do. Um, and so we had uh, uh, an employee from Noble come join us who also does CrossFit training. And he would pick 300 pounds up and throw it up over his head and drop it on the floor. And so we, instead of just doing physical tests and doing predictions, we mm-hmm. just took the actual activity and brought it to the actual space it was going to be and measured the vibration in the surrounding spaces. So I went to the upstairs tenant that's going to be a future lab and I measured how much vibration transmitted. I went to the space across the hall and measured that. So that was really early on because we first wanted to make sure that there was no impact to the surrounding tenants or how do we design around that? There's always a way, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, if you, if you, if you're smart with where you locate it, maybe it's less work. So in this case, part of the structure was actually a single story below a parking deck and slab on grade. That's a great place to put very heavy weight drops mm-hmm. as opposed to a space over a crawl space. So the slab's going to vibrate more and below another tenant upstairs. 
Got it. So it seems like part of the design process is actually preventing the problem from even existing to begin with. Yeah, preventing the problem from existing. And if you get in early enough, trying to avoid preventing that problem, you know, the process of preventing the problem from becoming its own problem, right? So if, if the economics of the job can get significantly affected. And that's true on a lot of fitness jobs. The cost to construct, to isolate the noise is extremely high. You know, we can do things that are great at reducing noise and vibration, but they come at a cost compared to paint on the walls and, you know, traditional fit out type activities. So yeah, absolutely. That, that's why you need to get in very early. So the second part of the process is more the interiors in terms of planning out how do the people who are using the space interact with it. And you, you need to consider what the quiet spaces are, making sure if you're, they're in a wide open area, that they have an opportunity to go to a quiet area to mm-hmm. be able to focus or have a meeting. And so that part of the process is further along in the design. Once the architects have come up with their plan and their concept, and we start working with them on getting into the nitty gritty details of what types of walls do you build? What types of finishes do you put on those walls? How do you build a glass wall that blocks noise from, from an open area conference, from a conference area to an open area mm-hmm. and things of that nature? Excellent. So the project will soon be in construction. And what role do you have during that process, which is typically called like construction administration? I really believe construction administration is extremely important. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in, in the industry feel the same way, but I think through my years, I, I just feel more and more strongly about that. You can spend all the time in the world to get something that looked great on paper. Here's my acoustic design. And if it's not built right, it doesn't matter. And it's often not intuitive the way it's being built. Mm-hmm. So if you're not there on site working with the carpenters, really every trade, that they understand why it's drawn that way, there's a very good chance it's not going to be built that way. You know, I'll take an example. A lot of times we'll build an, an isolated room within a room. So you'll build kind of the way you think of recording studios being built with isolated walls mm-hmm. and a ceiling kind of separate from everything else. Uh, so I, I'll do that on a much larger scale. The drawings will call for that in detail. How how does everything go together and how does the HVAC pass through those walls? A carpenter might come by and just, first of all, brace that wall to the other one because it makes for a stronger wall. Mm-hmm. Or they might frame it differently because it's a more efficient way to frame it. And you're still meeting, um, they're used to looking at a set of drawings and saying, I'm going to create this space the way the architect's drawn it, but I'm going to do it in the most efficient way to construct it. So they have the greatest intentions, but they don't necessarily know the nuances as to why it was put that way Mm -hmm. for an acoustic reason. So um, I like to spend a lot of time on site when things are being built, work with the team to kind of explain why I'm there and what we're trying to do. And it's, it's very rewarding because once you see the, the construction team kind of get what you're doing, they'll eagerly come to you. Hey, look at, look at what I did over here. Look how <laughs> I, this pipe came through here and I sealed it up really well. And um, it, it, it's a pretty cool process once, once you get to that level. So you, the trade that you mentioned is carpenters. And I'm guessing there are a number of others that you interact with frequently. What are the other trades? I mean, carpenters are probably the primary when I'm thinking of noise isolation, right? because it's how, how are the walls mm-hmm. going together? I mean, concrete, we pour slabs and lift them up. And so you have to do that right. There's there's um, sometimes before we even do with these spe- special deconstructions, sometimes you need to modify the building structure, um, both because you're adding a lot of weight with this special construction but the building itself needs to be stiff enough and strong enough mm-hmm. that if you're putting an isolated floor down, that the building doesn't just bounce along with it. 
Um, so we work with, uh, you know, structural framing, steel, ironwork, making sure that that's going in in a way that it's modifying the building in a way that's going to actually improve the vibration response. HVAC contractors, mm-hmm. uh, all the ductwork coming in and out of a space, uh, even in a basic uh, office project, we spend a lot of time looking at how the duct layout is actually going in to make sure that it's not going to you know, take a little bend in a way that we didn't expect and create a bunch of noise. But then on a on a high noise isolation project, it's literally how do each of those services pass into the room without compromising the isolation that you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds like a lot of work, which sounds very interesting as well. Walk our listeners through the project as it will be when it's completed, as they come through the, the front doors of the, the former Boston Globe headquarters. Yeah, it's, it's really cool because the, um, it is such a grand space. It's, I don't recall exactly what it is. Maybe it's 20 or 25 foot ceilings. Um, so you walk down a corridor and kind of walk through a portal and then the space opens up to a uh, kind of the original warehouse space, which was a uh, waffle, concrete waffle slab. Um, and that's going to remain intact. We're still kind of sorting out how to get the acoustics of that right because mm-hmm. when you have a really big volume of hard surfaces, you, you need to somehow absorb that sound. But we want to keep that waffle slab appearance. So we're sorting out how to do that in an economical way. Uh, you know, it would take a lot of work to have a laborer up and putting something in each little waffle. So it's a little bit of a tangent, but yeah. So you walk in, and you see this broad, uh, wide open space. And I think uh, to one side, there's going to be kind of a town hall area. It's so kind of a gathering area. On, on a normal basis, it'll just be a gathering area, mm-hmm. like people having their lunch and bleachers to kind of sit in. And past that, there's a, uh, a climbing wall, actually. If you go the other direction, uh, you kind of walk into more of an o- traditional open office. There's desks, um, some big windows on one side, and kind of just a more benching kind of office area. What's cool is they have a what looks like a running track. And as I understand it, it's not actually to run on, but they like to take walking meetings. So they um, they actually walk (laughs) around on this track. And I was actually relieved. I was just picturing, first of all, I needed to, if it was a running track, I needed to isolate it. But then I was picturing myself using the space. Well, if someone's running by my desk, I'm going to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. So it's just for kind of having walking meetings and kind of reinforcing the design aesthetic of this kind of athletic brand. So there's a speed limit on the the walking track. Yeah, as I understand it, yes. Okay, got it. At least when I'm there, I'll enforce that. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. So I think it's it's that. And then, um, you know, off to another side, there's kind of a uh, hallway with photo studios and recording studios. So there's a kind of set apart on purpose. And, um, you know, you kind of continue through some workspace. There's a mezzanine with some more workspace overlooking. And then towards the back is where the, the training area happens. So you actually walk through the headquarters all the way to the back of the space to get to the kind of experience area where you have the, the training and the workout going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of this is encompassed within the 100,000 square feet for Noble. Yes. Excellent. That's a lot, a lot going on. I am going to pause here to let our listeners know that we'll be having the amazing Ifoma Ibo of Creative Urban Alchemy on the American Building podcast next month. Ifoma is an urban designer with a particular interest in streetscapes, We'll be talking about her work on reimagining the Manhattan streetscape. Subscribe to the pod now at AmericanBuildingPodcast.com so you don't miss a single episode. Redist is a technology-enabled company that is transforming how small to mid-sized real estate developers finance their projects. 
We are focusing on public financing, which includes tax credits, tax abatements, grants, low interest loans, and much more. These uh, programs total over $100 billion per year. And the crazy part is most developers don't know what they're eligible for or how to get that money. Go to redist.us right now if you are a developer to find out how we are helping our customers in New York and New Jersey. Sachs LLP is a national tax advisory accounting and audit firm based in New Jersey. They do the taxes for my businesses, for Michael Graves and several others that I'm connected with, so I can definitely uh, vouch for them. Visit sachsllp.com to see how they can help you as well. So let's talk about all these great lessons that you've told us about the acoustics and specifically at the Nobel headquarters. And let's apply that to a venue where all of our listeners will be familiar, which is uh, the home environment. What are the common issues that you hear people facing noise-wise when working from home? Yeah, some of them aren't too surprising or different than maybe what they experience in a workplace. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of them have a uh, more personal twist. So I think distraction is is a huge thing. And I think that's true with anywhere you're trying to work. You know, I, I, just from studying this on my own, for my own well-being, I understand that while people claim to be multitaskers, it's, it's most people I've, I've heard that it's understood that your brain can only really do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And so I think as an acoustic designer thinking about how to create a good workspace, I'm always very aware that if there's a lot of different inputs, that's not going to create a great work environment. Mm-hmm. So I think distraction, you know, maybe the distractions are different instead of it's your coworkers talking about something that you don't want to hear or <laughs> a printer constantly going off or phones constantly ringing. It might be more unique to the home environment that it's uh, your dogs barking or kids and, and things of that nature, but it, it, it's still kind of the same core thing is first, you know, distraction. You know, I think it's just from talking to people, not necessarily even my professional role, but just kind of sharing and commiserating on some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see people always on, on a Zoom call and they have, who knows what's going on. They have the background board, but you know that there's <laughs> a, you see them mute it and turn around and, and tell their child or dogs that, hey, you're interrupting my call here. So I, th- I think people just kind of being located with their families in a small space can create a lot of challenges and definitely acoustics is one of them. And I'm guessing they're probably even more subtle ones like, uh, for example, kitchen equipment. We were mentioning earlier the boops and the bleeps and all the sounds associated with that as well. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was on a call with a colleague yesterday and one workspace I use is actually in uh, in an unfinished basement. And the reason I go there is because it's silent. <laughs> you know, I know I can pick up the phone anytime I want and just pick up the phone and get on, have a conversation with a client and be uninterrupted. But uh, what I forget is that there is actually laundry equipment around the corner. And so I was on the call with a colleague and he goes, what the heck is that noise? Do you have an ice cream truck? Because it, it's <laughs> one of those dryers that when it's done, it creates this little jingle. Okay. And I totally lost track that he would be able to hear that. And, you know, thankfully it was... A, a colleague and, and maybe not someone I was trying to win new work mm-hmm. with, but um, you, know, you have a moment of embarrassment and then it uh, goes to just a moment of, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of life now, right? Like we're, we're, we're kind of all kind of adapting to that. I feel like you might be able to pivot and 
particularly if there's a new client, and say, yeah, I actually do have an ice cream truck uh, at my office. <laughs> and you're welcome to come by just to, once once we, we start to start off in the project. I think that that definitely is uh, is something that I can I can understand. And I, I feel like there's definitely, I think phase one of Zoom life was exactly what you described of kind of putting things under the rug and trying to distract people on the Zoom from the stuff that's actually happening in your background. But I feel like part two of Zoom life is not using any of the fake backgrounds and just letting it just letting it all hang loose. Being like, yes, that is my uh, unclean kitchen and do you have a problem with it? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I do fall into that camp quite a bit. I, I think, um, you know, you get on these calls where half the people are have the camera off mm-hmm. and I, I try to turn my, sometimes I can't have mine on either, but when I can, I turn it on because I just think, yep, here I am in, in, uh, in all its glory, right? Yeah. So I have a basement behind me or um, whatever it might be. But uh, I think about this in acoustic design for sure. I like having a sense of presence, right? So like people, if I'm presenting something, I want them to be able to see me. So I'm, you know, making eye contact, even if if it's through Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of transcends to a lot of things to do professionally. I think about how that might work out. And how do you even, as we're getting into this mixed hybrid work, Mm -hmm. how do you get equity in in someone who's on Zoom? How do they get their fair share of time Mm -hmm. in in a meeting? And how do you set up a space so that they, their voice is coming through, right? So you can hear them clearly, things like that. That's an excellent point. And now that we've identified many of the sources of noises and the types of noises that are in the, the home environment, the homework environment, what process should our listeners go through to improve the sound in their own workspaces at home? Like, What would you suggest as a step-by-step? Yeah, I think the first thing that, that you should do is take an inventory of your environment, mm-hmm. even if it means just sit there for, for I was going to say five minutes, but that would probably be pretty overwhelming. Sit there for two <laughs> minutes and just listen to what's happening. You'd be amazed at how many sounds are in your environment right now that you're not realizing or processing, mm-hmm. but they might actually be affecting you. You know, there might be uh, an air conditioner or something running in the background that it's just always there and you don't think about it. But you know what? It's actually creating a sense of agitation mm-hmm. because it, it's not a peaceful sound that you're, you know, you're, you're just be able to concentrate on your work. It could be much more obvious. You know, for example, my dogs are barking every two minutes because they see something out the window. Mm-hmm. Maybe those things you tune out a little bit, but take an inventory of what are the factors that are influencing your environment that might be making it not really an ideal acoustic environment for you to be getting your job done. Mm-hmm. I think that's step one. Step two is, is once you've done that, you have to start thinking about what can you do. Um, and, and this is very similar to my process in consulting. You need to stay in reality. What, what are the tools that I have at my disposal and how can I use them to make this better? So in a home environment, you don't necessarily have all the tools that I might have when we're designing a brand new space. Mm-hmm. But there are some things you can do. If your issue is that you do have too much distraction, I think there's things you can do. First, it's not possible for everyone, and I understand that. but Maybe you should reconsider where you're choosing to work, right? Um, and I think you should, in doing that, think, how do I create physical? Uh, and if we're talking, I'm kind of envisioning like a single family home. Mm-hmm. Certainly this is true in an apartment too. Think distance. Homes and apartments are not designed to block noise well. Even when you close a door, the sound just comes through. Yep. It really does. And so if you have multiple places that you might consider, whether it's a spare bedroom or even your own bedroom and you put a desk there, what's the one that's physically furthest from all of the other activity in your house? I, th- I think 
short of rebuilding your house, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting yourself physically further away is actually a good tool with acoustics because mm-hmm. the sound dissipates over time and space or over space. Second is uh, think isolation. Um, what are the things that you can do to isolate yourself? If there is a door, even if it's not great, that's better than maybe being in a little nook. Maybe it's a nicer environment in other areas, but if it's not physically separated with a door, you're going to be subject to much more of the noise in your open household. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some things you can do in terms of choosing your workspace. I, I mentioned I actually choose to work in a basement some of the time, mm-hmm. and it's because maybe I'm hypersensitive to these things, but I chose I'd rather have less daylight and more kind of freedom from too much extra noise. So I can just really focus when I need to sit down and write a report or compose something. I have the the time and space to do that without knowing that I'm not going to get distracted. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is you can consider is just think about background noise. Uh, So there are annoying noises for sure. And maybe you need to change that in some way. Probably won't get into how to change an air conditioning noise right now. (laughs) You should probably move yourself away from that. But sometimes background noise can be helpful if you are able to you have the ability to get yourself to a separate room and you've given yourself some distance, but there's still the household noise coming into your space. Your perception of noise is both how loud the noise might be, but it's also how loud it is compared to the background noise in the space. So for example, I have an air purifier in the space I'm sitting in now that creates a background noise mm-hmm. and it's a comfortable, normal, balanced background noise. And on a, daily basis, you don't really even notice it's there. If you turned it off, you would notice, wow, I didn't realize that that was running and making noise. What it also does is it, it, does is it covers up some of the, no- mm. the noise that's left that's coming in. And I think uh, the last thing you should think about is, is think about the uh, finishes in your room. If you're sitting in an empty room with no curtains and no furnishing, it's going to have a harsh echo. So if you like to be on Zoom a lot or speakerphone, that, it's going to sound like you're in a tunnel when you're talking on the far end. And so depending on what your job is, it might be important that you have a little bit more presence. And to do that, definitely uh, thinking about the room you're in can help. The acoustics of that room, more furnishings help. Uh, But the other thing to overcome with a bad room acoustic is is use a microphone. Don't talk into your speaker or your laptop with the screen open, right? Uh, Use the headset or, you know, uh, earbuds because they're going to have a microphone that's kind of capturing the sound closer to your mouth and not the rest of the environment. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there are a number of, of great suggestions that you've shared with us, Ryan. It starts with moving yourself away from the problem, uh, which sounds like a solution that every kindergarten teacher uh, knows all too well with uh, fighting kids. Uh, number two is uh, to be able to identify uh, the sounds themselves and see if there are things that you can do to cover or to mask or to reduce them. For example, you gave Uh, the suggestion of a white noise machine, and then to also consider finishes such as, say, rugs, caulking, or rugs and drapes and felt and other materials like that. And then the last one would be um, also considering the equipment that you're using in terms of uh, headsets and uh, speakers and other other equipment as well. So those are all wonderful suggestions. And thank you so much for joining us today on the American Building Podcast, Ryan. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. And listeners, if you want to hear the -the behind-the-scenes stories of how iconic buildings in our country were designed and built, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Rate and review us on iTunes to help us reach a wider audience. And please follow us on Instagram at American Building Podcast. 
We all know real estate is a tough industry to make it. So how can professionals stand out and make a name for themselves in today's world? Hear from me, the team at Michael Graves and Readist, and many of our spectacular guests like Ryan on what we did to make it where we are. Grab our exclusive guide, seven tips on how to stand out in your field at AmericanBuildingPodcast.com. Finally, we live in the richest country in the history of humankind. We must reach out beyond the boundaries that we see and the boundaries that we create in order to help build homes and communities. Today, Ryan and I have made donations to Be Strong, which provides relief services for people in crisis in the United States and around the world. I encourage you, our listeners, to support their worthwhile work as well. My name is Atif Kader, and this has been American Building.